Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, who should be at the table for the next big telecom contract? It's going to include the carriers because it has to, but it also ought to include some of the people that provide these technology-based communication solutions like the one that we're using now. CBP goes all in on automation. Plan to take the 150 to 400 bots end of this year, end of, end of the calendar year. So that, that's our plan and avoiding tunnel vision in your IT journey. To avoid a lot of technical debt, make sure that you minimize or stamp out the snowflakes that may occur to some degree and really focus at the enterprise. It's Monday, June 27th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. New guidance for secure cloud migration is out from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. The Cloud Security Technical Reference Architecture is a product of CIS's collaboration with the U.S. Digital Service, the FedRAMP Office, and the Office of Management and Budget. CISA says it got more than 300 comments on the first edition of the CSTRA. The Air Force officially has a new cyber leader. The Senate confirmed Major General Kevin Kennedy to lead the 16th Air Force Air Force's cyber The Senate confirmed General Kennedy unanimously. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The results are in for the best bosses in federal IT. Leaders from government and industry are among the winners. You can find a link to see the list and read more about each of the winners in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Social Security Administration will save $80 million a year because of its transition to the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions Contract from the General Services Administration. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. He's writing about EIS in his Week Ahead newsletter. Larry, thanks for coming back on the show. You write in this newsletter, a serious conversation needs to be had on alternative acquisition strategies and whether a new telecom contract like EIS is even needed. If Social Security is going to save $80 million, it seems this is probably a pretty good idea. Why do we need to rethink these things? Welcome. Francis, I think that it's great that Social Security is saving money, but uh, they probably could have saved the money whether they're using a contract like EIS or some other uh, telecommunications contract that took less time to put in place. And by the way, EIS itself has been around for almost five years now. And agencies like Social Security, not just to pick on them, uh, are just now getting around to uh, doing some implementation uh, of savings uh, through the contract. And actually, one of the things that really makes the Social Security case notable, Francis, is that uh, they're actually doing something new with their telecommunications uh, goods. a lot of agencies that buy from EIS are doing what is known as in the industry as lift and shift. So they're basically taking everything from their old networks contract and just moving it to the new vehicle without realizing any savings or upgrades in service. Uh, so Social Security is, is a great example of what can be done. Unfortunately, not very many agencies are making maximum use of the tool. Uh, My belief is that if you've got a tool that's an expensive tool, it's expensive for government and it's expensive for industry and it's not being used or not being used properly, maybe instead of the platinum plated tool, you could make do with something uh, more scaled to the actual need. 
There's a story up on fedscoop.com about the latest round of deadline stretches in the EIS contract, uh, and you note that in the newsletter. DOD, Homeland Security, Justice Department now have till May 31st, 2024 to transition. The transition deadline is supposed to be September 30th of this year. That's obviously not happening. I was on a panel with Kay Ely, who's now retired from GSA. This had to be three years ago. And she insisted there's not going to be any deadline extensions for EIS. And I'm not throwing rocks at her because I, I know her and she believes what she says. And they had the best intentions at GSA. It just didn't happen. And the agencies are probably mostly the reason for that. What fixes this? Or is this something that because of the nature of changes in technology, if not now, eventually becomes overcome by events? Well, and I think there are two answers to that, Francis, because there are two different issues here. Uh, one is the telecommunications evolution. Uh, we do a lot of telecommunications type of work now uh, in the government and around the government where we're actually not using a phone. Uh, we use computer-based technologies, uh, you know, Zoom, Microsoft Teams are two of the better known. But nobody needs a, a set, a, a phone set at their desk in order to do a Zoom call. Uh, you don't need to even have a, what people call a soft client, which is having the software uh, added to your computer to do a Zoom call. Uh, so I think you have to look at the evolution of telecommunications solutions. Certainly there are things that are gonna be done in a secure environment. You're always gonna have a need for some sort of a more traditional telecommunications solution. But for most workers in their daily work lives, uh, what they need in terms of telecom solutions isn't uh, what they needed five years ago. And you also get into the scope of EIS. People say, well, what about cell phones? Well, okay, there just doesn't happen to be a lot of cell phone work done under EIS that a lot of cell phone buying, a lot of cell phone use is handled by other contracts. Uh, cell phone use is kind of incidental. It's an incidental part of the EIS contract. So it doesn't really even cover that now major aspect of how federal employees communicate. So there's the technology change. The other change is that you talked about is how do we fix it? How do we get agencies to actually use contracts? And I'm not sure there's an easy answer to that uh, other than maybe reelecting Tom Davis, <laughs> who when he, he was Congress and, and Congress and chaired the House Government Oversight Committee, he held hearings and held agencies feet to the fire to make them transition from the previous telecom contract to networks, which is the one that's winding down now. Uh, but we don't have Tom Davis in Congress. And uh, you're right. GSA tries its best, but it doesn't really have significant leverage to go into federal agencies and say, do this now, because the agencies are going to say and have said, we can't do this now. If you force us to do this now, we'll lose all connectivity and ability to communicate. And that's why there are extensions uh, out. So uh, unless there's somebody who's willing to tell all the agencies, you know, get real and do this, by a date certain next time, I'm not sure there is an easy fix. But from a contract standpoint, Francis, I think there is an easier fix. 
we don't have to put in place a catch-all telecommunications contract that takes years to put in place. It costs industry millions of dollars to bid on. Uh, and then it takes years before it, the first meaningful task orders are issued uh, just to get the government a good telecommunications capability. There are existing contracts that are some of which are in GSA that can easily do this without setting up something new and specialized. Or you could even have something that's smaller and more purposed in scope that does what needs to be done now that doesn't cost millions of dollars and years to put in place. It can be done much more quickly uh, and with lower overhead. And that's where I'm really going with this. It's not that we don't need contracts anymore for this. It's looking at the types of contracts you do need. All right. To that end, I, I, by the way, one of the reasons I love the newsletter is the Easter eggs that I find in them. Every single week you stick something in there that makes me laugh. You write, industry GSA and customer agencies should sit down now and discuss this issue and uh, sit down now to discuss this issue and develop serious alternatives to ensure that acquisition strategies are as advanced and flexible as the telecom solutions they will acquire. The days of Ernestine and her switchboard are gone. One ringy dingy, two ringy dingies. Larry, what should that discussion involve and what does the pro the end product look like, do you think, that provides benefit to industry but also to the customer agencies and also makes it easy for GSA to administer? Sure. So I think that that discussion includes people from both traditional and non-traditional uh, communications organizations. So it's going to include the carriers because it has to. But it also ought to include some of the people that provide these technology-based communication solutions, like the one that we're using now. <laughs> and also needs to probably have some people talk about what the future holds for telecommunications overall, particularly in office environments that are increasingly decentralized, where workers work at home at least part of the time. Uh, that all poses some fundamental changes to a traditional office setup with a traditional phone and all of its uh, uh, applications. So I think you ought to, that's a, the conversation. And we ought to talk about, all right, the technology's changed, the market's changed. The contract vehicle that the government uses to acquire these solutions should keep pace with that market change. We can't apply a traditional uh, contract uh, method that we came goes back to the 1980s to 22nd, 21st century technology in uh, the mid 2020s, uh, Francis. We need to have a solution that better matches the technology of the time. Larry Allen, great to talk to you as always. Thanks very much. Francis, thank you. You can read more about the contracts Larry talked about and find a link to his newsletter in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. Coming on Tuesday's show, a super inside look at IT contracting in the federal government. Laura Stanton of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration is on tomorrow's Daily Scoop Podcast. That episode debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. 
Two components of the Department of Homeland Security are among the agencies that are using automation tools. The chief technology officers of those components described their strategies at the UiPath Together Summit. In this highlight of a panel with moderator Tricia Fitzmaurice, Rob Brown, the CTO at USCIS, and Sunil Madhugiri, the CTO of CBP, talked about how they're cutting backlogs with automation. First, Rob Brown of CIS. I would actually say we've already started uh, using tools such as UiPath and uh, plenty of others. Um, and I would say that really where the focus is right now is truly on empowering um, the workforce, not OIT or tech heads that uh, clearly understand and get the technology, but how do we do that change management cultural shift uh, in a safe manner uh, to empower the workforce so they can do it themselves. And I would say that the majority of the change management's already occurred. Uh, we already have in certain platforms close to 2,000 citizen-developed applications, uh, and that's been over the course of really just the past six months. Um, so how do we, you know, again, how do we do this in a safe manner um, with the right sort of tech standards, the right governance in place, so we can continue to democratize, democratize the technology, uh, empower automation to the folks that really understand the mission, the backlog, um, so that they, they we, we just become sort of the stewards and the gatekeepers to some degree, um, the safety cops, uh, so these folks can move forward. I think really that's the, the next challenge for us. We've got plenty of different tool sets um, uh, that we've already have plenty of sort of various degrees of automation, um, especially as it relates to true good machine learning and um, streamlining uh, various facets of the organization from adjudication to risk and fraud. Uh, now it's really like, let's take that next leap and put it into the hands of the folks, similar to what, you know, what uh, you know, these folks just talked about, what Jamie was stating. How do you get this technology into the hands of folks so that they're, they're not doing this rote, mundane work? Um, they're the ones that know the business. We talk about doing you know, um, this ubiquitous language and uh, you know, trying to figure out what we're really trying to build from a standard delivery perspective let's just leapfrog all that. Let's just put the tech in the hands of the guys that know what they want uh, so they can build it, so that they're happy. And with this sort of change in workforce, this ne next generation, I mean, they already know it better than, no offense, probably the majority of the folks in OIT right now. So let's, I think that's the real focus of where we're heads at and how we can really enable and empower uh, this automation and really, I wouldn't really say AI, but really good machine learning to help our backlog reduction, but plenty of other areas to solve our mission needs. And that, that's a real shift, moving it outside of IT, moving that development outside of IT. Fascinating. Sunil, so CBP has been fascinating because you've been a early adopter of automation. I think you have 150 plus automations already in production. Talk to us about how you've made it mainstream inside CBP. Uh, first of all, Trish, thanks for having us. And uh, Rob owes me lunch, best of all, just an FII. So he owes me lunch, so I'm to make sure. Everybody I'm coming. Here. I'm yeah. coming. Okay. You can hold me to that? Yes, I will hold it to that, Rob. So, uh, again, um, I also, I'm, I'm the current CTO of CBP along with the acting chief data officer also. So, dual role. So, data is a, uh, data probably for CBP is a bloodline blood for us, right? So, everything what we do is very data centric. So what we did about three years back, um, 
I'm a former software developer like, like uh, Rob is, and you know, I, I felt that you can automate anything by writing code. I really believe that, right? I used to believe that. But then we started seeing these um, different uh, scenarios within the field, like Rob said and the CIO, Holcomb said, is that it's all about folks in the field, right? So think about trucks, uh, folks coming into the country, uh, trucks crossing various borders within the United States. We check for various things, right? So when, during the checks, we had to develop a bunch of spreadsheets, for example, right? These spreadsheets, people are looking at this manually and we're taking hours and days in some cases to allocate and give reports to their bosses. So I said, this doesn't make any sense. Why is it taking this long? So I became, I became a convert myself about three years back because, as I said, being a developer, you can, you, you can write code for anything, right? So I call this a last mile. So in a lot of cases, you can write code, of course, you know, and, and, and uh, produce uh, applications that does stuff, but this extra work which has, needs some automation perspective, that's where we, we found a lot of value uh, for RPA. And I tell you, it has completely changed the way we do, way we do business. The 150 bots we just talked about, all of our bots currently which are running are in production and outside of OIT, which is pretty cool. We have 65,000 large agency with about 30,000 contractors, so 95,000 people work within CVP. And you can imagine very, very large, very diverse. And the main thing, like even Rob said, what we're looking for is how do we make the life easy for men and women at the, at the border. That's what matters. If I'm not doing my job, if I'm not helping them. So RPA seemed to be playing a major role. I'm, I'm in fact, I'm on the way, way to Southwest border after, right after this conference to, to Tucson to discuss some of these things again with, with our agents there. And whatever you see in the news is what we're working on a daily basis, is what it is. So we have a bunch of examples I, 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 can, I can go into, but what we did was we had like an idea scale campaign to figure out to, to, to collect some uh, crowdsourcing of ideas, and then we put all those ideas together, and those ideas, like I'm telling you, the hundreds, thousands actually ideas now. So 154 bots right now, my goal, actually there's some team members here from CBP, Jaime Garza, Jaime, you're there, man, great job, excellent, you're doing great, uh, keep it up. We plan to take the 150 to 400 bots end of this year, end of, end of the calendar year, so that, that's our plan. So that's where we are, and uh, by the way, the last mile, I coined that, just an FII, so. <laughs> we'll give you credit for that. <laughs> well, Rob, you talked about democratizing development outside of IT and into the lines of business. We've all heard the rhetoric of automation is gonna cause me to lose my job. So how, as an executive, do you think you're gonna need to get individuals in the lines of business over that hump of using automation? and bringing it into their day-to-day -day operations? Well, uh, actually, I think the majority of that change management aspect is already done. Um, and just because of uh, the push that we've had, I guess, over the past four years, uh, I think the majority of that sort of talk is, uh, is sort of past us. Um, as I say, right now, I think from an IT perspective, we're just trying to catch up with our lines of business. Uh, we've provided some of these tools in an experimental manner, and again, I'll just use um, some numbers. You know, having uh, close to 18,000 apps in the course of six months uh, by essentially exposing a tool is pretty phenomenal. So that I think the, the majority of the change management will most likely catch up to us in a future state when the reality starts to hit 
that um, these folks really need to figure out, uh, especially in some of the back office uh, areas from OSI to HR, uh, when they're just shuffling paperwork around or scanning PDFs, um, that, that's when I think we're gonna, they're really gonna feel that. But right now, I think that there's excitement there, there's that innovation there. Um, so what, what is the right thing to do? It, and I think I'd be lying if I said that, yeah, it's, sometimes this is gonna probably reduce the number of FTEs, just like it's gonna occur in doing modern operations uh, as far as cloud. Um, so part of it's gonna, folks having to grapple with that, we're not quite there yet. Um, so I think it's taking a, a pretty, you know, it's great to see that rogue innovation and rollout sort of been an MO of, of at least USCIS. We've done this in numerous facets from cloud to containers to serverless. And if we can get, we're trying to, and starting to get ahead of this with the appropriate sort of governance and, you know, mindsets, um, mainly in the, in the platform usage and starting to broach this subject with some of the lines of business as far as the potential loss of jobs. Um, or repurposing to something that may be more effective. Um, I think it's still a bit of a, you know, this, the ship is still sailing and we'll see where we, we end up. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, me crystalballing in my own opinions, uh, I think some folks are going to probably end up either skilling up or shipping out. Rob Brown, the CTO of USCIS, along with Sunil Madagiri, the CTO of CBP, and the moderator, Tricia Fitzmaurice of UiPath at the UiPath Together Summit. More of that panel in a moment, and you can find a link to the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The 13th year of Fed Talks launches August 24th. High-level leaders in government, industry, and academia will offer lightning talks, keynotes, and fireside chats. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. More now from the DHS component CTOs, Sunil Madagiri of CBP and Rob Brown of CIS. In this highlight, the moderator, Tricia Fitzmaurice of UiPath, asked both CTOs about the workforce they need to keep moving forward. First, Rob Brown of CIS. A lot of these folks are, are born and bred with automation, yep. and this is second nature. This is nothing new. Right. And it's almost expected. Right. So we need to be able to think of what comes after that. Mm -hmm. um, so bots are great. Having IVRs are great. So what is that next step? So I think truly that's where good, uh, good algorithms and then ultimately some form of AI will provide that sense of accomplishment mm -hmm. and that change management for that next, uh, for the, the next generation of workers. Yeah. Totally agree. All right, Sunil, something that I love about CBP is how the duality of automation that you have within the agency. It's not just back office, and you are using it for acquisition, you're using it in HR, but you're also using it for at-the-speed-of-mission emergencies that arise. You know, there's a crisis, and, and the Afghan crisis, or the, uh, the need for a travel ban during COVID. Talk to us about how you see automation be playing that key role in the future of the go-to for how you react to crises. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, uh, to Rob's point, right, we, we, we are seeing uh, uh, from automation perspective, um, Yes, the back, off, back office perspective, 100%, right? We do a lot of work with finance folks, HR, everything else you said. But where we are seeing the value, the maximum is 
in the field. There are a few examples. Can I give some examples? Yeah. Is it okay? All right, so the examples, are, I'm telling you, you are kind of blown away some of the examples as what we have seen. I was blown away. Uh, this is like during the COVID, COVID travel ban, if you remember like the, uh, about a few years back, uh, we were given about 48 hours to make sure we informed the airlines and airline informed the, uh, the passengers that you know, they cannot, should not come to the airport. The, the way it works, as you know, is if you get, get on an airline and come to the US and you don't, you're, you're denied entry, you, have to, you are sent back and guess who play, pays for the, for, for the, air, the bill? It's airline pays for the bill. So it's, it's, it's anybody's interest to make sure that we are, uh, so we had 48 hours. And so our team here, Jaime is one of them here, we worked 24 hours for 48 hours to catch up to make sure we inform the airlines ahead of time, right? So we, had, we get the manifest to the passengers and we, we were about two or three hours ahead initially. And we, at the end of the day, after 48 hours, we were able to inform 230,000 passengers were offloaded. 230,000, okay? So that's the number of passengers. And if you just do an average math, about $1,000 of return ticket for everybody, that's $230 million. So th th that's a value right there, just you can imagine. These are like numbers not, these are like, this is publicly known, so I'm not giving anything out new here. But uh, that, that's what the value is, right? So that's one of them. The other big one was the Afghanistan crisis, right? The refugee crisis, very sad. Uh, and we, were, we airlifted 67,000 people, and CBP was, was prime front along with working with Rob's team there. Same thing there. So what we did was the manifest, we would get handwritten manifest, which we had to convert through NLP into text into, into automated digitized form, which we, which we would read through a bot and do some processing. I, I can't go into the details of that, but I'm just telling you this is what, this is where we are doing. So whatever you see in the news is what we are working on and using some of the RPA technologies to, to, to do that. Same thing with vaccinations as to what, uh, what the mandates are, some forced exemptions, how do we, there are some processes for that, the users use, use bot for that. Fire requests, right? If you are CBP, as you can imagine, we are always somebody wants some information from us because uh, so FOIA is a big deal for us. So our lawyers, uh, we were, they, they couldn't catch up with the amount of FOIA requests we have. So we automated that through multiple bots. So to Trish's point, it's it's in the what we are doing in the field mission. Uh, there are other things which I can't go into, but for the front from the frontline stuff, we are doing a lot of work helping the agents to automate things and make their life easy because these people are 10-hour shifts and they're doing an amazing job for us to keep, to keeping us safe. Or make sure I cannot thank them enough, the men and women in the front lines who do work for us. So we should be all very thankful as to what they do for us every day. Sweet. <laughs> okay. One executive pro tip that you'll give to any other federal agency out there looking to incorporate automation. Take it. All right. I mean, I'm, uh, so... One thing I would say, I think, first of all, Rob and I are great partners. A lot of work we do together. Uh, and as an amazing CTO, uh, great colleague. We kind of exchange information on a daily basis, right? But thank you for everything, well, Rob. thank you, too. We, we do, How do we you get him to respond? Absolutely. So <laughs> ju just from uh, the, uh, just from uh, I would, what I would say is, I can tell you we are, so that's my name. You can please contact us. And we, other agencies, we, we are very, we are very far ahead, I can tell you that. We are an advanced program. We have a center of innovation, which pretty much what we have done is we have centralized 
all of operation into one place. Massive agency, what, what we have done is, all the other parts of CBP, we have told them, don't buy your own licenses, don't do, come to us, a centralized place, give us money so that we can consolidate and, you know, and have a better bargaining chip with uh, companies like UiPath and everybody else, right? So that's what we do. So because of that, what has happened is, we have centralized everything in one place, so our COI, we call these ninja developers, they go and do demos uh, and we do training. We do what is called Tech Tuesday. Every second Tuesday we do Tech, Tuesday, Tech Tuesdays within CVP and we show what we have done. Uh, and I tell you something, there's so much interest. So what we're trying to do is create uh, this community of citizen developers, right? That's where it, it, it matters. The more citizen developers you create, the better interest you'll get with automation. Because keep in mind, our job is, is not IT. Our job is to keep everybody safe in this country and let legal trade and legal travel happen, right? That's what we do on a daily basis. So for us, for them, for the folks who want to do this, so some folks want to work, create their own bots, some don't, right? So what we do is we, we, we teach them how to fish, and after that they can fish on their own. And but in certain cases, we also work with partners, who are, I'm sure they're in the room here. Those partners work with the other parts of CVP and create a team who go and create these bots for them. But uh, I would like, love to help. Initially, we, we did this journey a while back. We are also very advanced in AI machine learning within the bot itself. Uh, I just can't go into some of the detail, but we're doing some pretty interesting work with uh, some searches and all those things based on that. So I think we, we, we are fairly advanced. Please talk to us. I'm in LinkedIn or, or my Sunil Madhugiri at cv.dhs.com. Send us an email, and especially on the government side, uh, we, we'll, we'll, we can help. Yeah, I would echo all of that. Um, I would also state, if you're just getting started, it's great to have a Tiger team or Skunk Works, so definitely promote and, and, and ensure that those folks uh, are doing the right thing. We've got a, at CIS, we've, we sort of started that way with uh, Pascal and Josh, and you know, on the procurement side, we had Paula, uh, working that, um, so make sure you've got the right folks in the right seats to help, you know, get that that approach started. And then, so to avoid a lot of technical debt, make sure that you minimize or stamp out the snowflakes that may occur, to some degree, and really focus at the enterprise. To to Sunil's point, um, taking a broad approach is is the right approach, and this really could be said about any sort of platform. And take some modern approaches as well to the platform itself. Um, I keep referencing the team topologies, but I would say that you know that reduction in cognitive load. There are frameworks available to copy. Uh, I highly recommend understanding what that means, uh, so you can do the appropriate uh, staffing, and then even to write contracts against it. Um, so I think those are some of the biggies as it re relates to really rolling with citizen development. Uh, again, procurement strategy is pretty big. Um, so definitely have a look at what makes the most sense, see what's already been done, um, and see where, you know, we, where we've done some oopsies and some successes, uh, as well as make sure that you do have a good COE in place. We started with UiPath and RPA within our CDO shop uh, with Pascal, and uh, he did a great job and still continues to do so. So I highly recommend you know, talking with the folks that have done this before. They can provide you artifacts, collateral processes, um, and happy to open source all of it so you guys can actually see what that looks like. Uh, there's nothing to hide. So to, again, to Sunil's point, just reach out and we'll happily provide it in any way, shape, or form we can. 
even to a point of providing um, automation scripts, um, GitHub repos, whatever, whatever we need to do um, to help you get started or just to maybe mature a little bit faster. Rob Brown, the CTO of USCIS, along with Sunil Madhugiri, the CTO of CBP, and the moderator, Tricia Fitzmaurice of UiPath, at the Together Summit. You can find a link to watch the video of the entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast, back tomorrow with Laura Stanton of GSA. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.